0: Chapter thirty two of Geographical Reader Europe by Frank G. Carpenter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Betty B. Chapter thirty two in Odessa. General view of Russia. Get out your passports and have your keys ready. We are at anchor in the harbor of Odessa, and the Russian officials are coming aboard. There they are now, just inside the gangway those big black-bearded men in long coats and black caps with the soldiers beside them we shall have to show them papers from our government describing just who we are before they will permit us to land this custom is universal in russia all who enter the empire must have passports and it is impossible to travel through the interior without them we shall be asked for our passports at every hotel and our names will be registered at the police stations wherever we stop we may need them when we buy tickets on the railway and also at the post and telegraph offices even the natives must have passports when they leave home for records are kept of the strangers in every town so that it is said the czar knows just where every man in his empire sleeps every night we need our keys to open our baggage that the officers may see that there are no books or papers in it containing articles against the government and also that we are not smuggling goods into the country the russian empire is so vast and it has so many different kinds of people that it is difficult for one man to rule it it has some citizens who would like to overthrow the government and for this reason the officials are always on guard our passports however show that we are good american citizens we are treated politely the officials merely look into our trunks and within a short time we have received permission to enter the city and are riding in our Droskis over the paved streets of odessa to the hotel how strange everything is we seem to be in a new world the people are different and even the horses look queer as they trot along with great yokes above them drawing all sorts of odd vehicles notice the drosky in which we are riding it is about half as big as one of our carriages its wheels are no larger than those of a bicycle and its floor is about a foot from the ground a big black horse is harnessed to the shafts which end at the front in a yoke rising a foot and a half above his neck there are no tugs the shafts are fastened to the collar just under the yoke what an odd-looking driver he weighs about three hundred pounds and his long navy blue gown tied with a red sash at the waist makes him look bigger his hat is bell-shaped, and his long black beard hangs far down on his breast. He is proud of his size, for to have a fat coachman is the sign of prosperity, and it is said that many of the gowns of the Drosky drivers are padded and quilted, and that some even have little pillows inside them to make their owners look fat. Our man holds his arms straight out in front of him as he drives. He slaps the horse with the reins to make him go faster, and stops him by saying, Burr instead of woe now look at the people on the streets what a variety of curious costumes odessa is the chief city of southern russia and men from all the countries about come here to trade there are turks and armenians in fez caps and dark clothes there are greek sailors wearing gay jackets white petticoats and red shoes turned up at the toes there are fierce-looking circassians in high caps of astrakhan fur and merchants from persia in turbans and gowns there are russians everywhere we know them by their big frames and fine faces the men are tall and broad-shouldered and most of them have long thick beards the women are tall handsome and stately many are very well dressed although the peasant women wear rough shoes bright cotton gowns and have handkerchiefs bound around their heads what a lot of caps long coats and top boots every man and boy is thus clad the soldiers wear caps the officers wear caps and so do the common people even little boys have visored caps and overcoats just like their fathers and some very little girls wear caps of bright silk how queer the stores are the signs are in the strange russian letters so different from ours that we cannot tell what they mean there is a newsboy crying his papers the printing upon them looks as strange as the chinese characters on tea-boxes and we cannot understand the jargon he utters we can't even talk with our driver and are glad when we reach the hotel where the porter speaks english he acts as our interpreter giving us rooms and arranging our meals next day we take a guide and explore odessa it is the chief grain port of south russia and has a vast trade we visit the wharves and the chief business sections and then take the train for our long ride through russia in europe russia is by far the largest country in europe and one of the largest of the whole world the russians have more land than any other nation except the british they own more than half of all europe and considerably more than one-third of all asia their possessions in asia are almost as big as the whole of south america and in europe they have two-thirds as much land as the united states without alaska the philippines and puerto rico altogether they have more than one-seventh of all the land surface of the globe our travels at present are to be confined to russia in europe and even this is so vast as we see by the space it has on the map that we might travel a year and not visit every part of it still a rapid run through it stopping in the great cities and spending some time in the villages and on the farms will give us a good idea of the country and people let us first take a bird's-eye view of european russia it consists of a vast plain hemmed in by the ural mountains on the east and by the baltic sea germany austria-hungary and romania on the west extending from the arctic ocean to the black sea and caspian sea and nowhere having any hills over eleven hundred feet high the chief hills except those at the extreme south lie just north of the center of russia where the land rises, making a watershed from which the rivers flow north and south, furnishing water to the most of the plain and giving a cheap means of carrying goods from one part of it to another. Many of the rivers are connected by canals, and as we shall see later, the country has an excellent system of commercial waterways. If a bird should start at the Arctic Ocean and fly clear across Russia to get the view we are taking, it would start upon a coast which is bordered with vast morasses or cold swamps called tundras. Everything there is bleak and dreary. The trees are stunted and the only human beings to be seen are the strange lapps and samoyeds semi-savages with light yellow faces, high cheekbones, and eyes somewhat slanting. They live in bark tents and look not unlike the laplanders we saw in Norway. And they have much the same habits roaming about with their reindeer grazing them on the mosses and the lichens which grow on the tundras passing this region the bird would fly southward for hundreds upon hundreds of miles over vast forests it would go for days over nothing but trees 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 now and then it might see a bear a deer or a wolf but seldom anything human in this forest zone of russia there are thousands of square miles which are entirely uninhabited where there are no railroads and where all nature is as wild as it was in our country in the days when the indians owned it at the north the trees are chiefly stunted pines but farther south there are magnificent beeches firs and other valuable timber the forests cover two-fifths of the country extending with some clearings here and there even as far south as moscow coming out of the trees our bird would next pass over a well-populated region which produces vast quantities of barley flax and hemp and then enter the third zone the famous black earth zone of russia this is a vast plain which stretches from the carpathian mountains clear across to the urals and which is covered with some of the richest soil on the face of the globe the land is a thick sheet of black earth a sort of half mould from three to twenty feet deep so rich that it has yielded good crops of wheat for many generations without fertilization this is the best part of russia and the chief source of its wealth producing large quantities of grain for export the country here is well populated it has cities and towns and countless farm villages beyond this there are lands producing indian corn and farther south bordering on the edge of the caucasus mountains and the black and the caspian seas are other plains or steppes which are not so rich but upon which wild grasses grow in great luxuriance where vast herds of horses cattle and sheep are to be seen such is a rough idea of european russia great flat plains of cold swamps of mighty forests of rich farms and pastures of a few large cities and a vast number of villages we shall visit the chief cities later on odessa is about as large as detroit so, too, is Kiev, just north of it, on the Dnieper, surrounded by a rich farming country. Warsaw and Poland is bigger than St. Louis, and Lodz than Cincinnati, while Riga is of about the size of Minneapolis. St. Petersburg has more people than Philadelphia, and Moscow is almost as large. In addition to these important places, there are other cities ranging in size from 300,000 to 50,000, and there are many still smaller but we shall see all this better as we go on with our travels russia has the longest railroads in the world and there are steamers on all the chief rivers so that we can visit the principal parts of the country our train from odessa takes us rapidly northward the road is smooth and well built the track is as well kept as our gardens we often see women on their knees pulling the grass from between the ties and every few miles there are men working on the railroad At each road crossing, a barefooted, bareheaded peasant girl, in a dress of bright colors, stands waving a flag to warn the people back while the train passes, and at every station, a tall guard in uniform, with a pistol on his hip and a long sword at his side, walks up and down the platform. He is the representative of the Tsar, and he wears the Tsar's uniform, a red cap with a tall feather in it, a long overcoat, and high boots with spurs there are many things about the trains that are different from ours look out as we go around this curve and see the dense black smoke pouring out of the engine that comes from the petroleum which is used as fuel because the oil fields about the caspian sea make it cheaper than coal in this treeless region farther north in the forest zone the smoke will become a light blue for our locomotive will make steam with wood we shall have great racks filled with wood just back of the engine it will keep two firemen busy throwing it into the furnaces while at every few stations we shall see acres of woodpiles our cars are by no means uncomfortable we are riding first class on an express train we have seats near the windows and our fellow passengers are officials and well-to-do russians many of whom speak english and tell us much of their country and people every now and then we pass a slower train largely composed of second and third-class cars the second-class cars are more cheaply furnished than those of the first class they are patronized by the merchants and the richer of the common people the third-class cars are not much better than cattle cars the seats are rude benches and they are crowded with peasants notice that train which is waiting there on the side track it is filled with long-bearded shock-haired men in rough cotton clothes and with women in short cotton gowns of bright colors with shawls and handkerchiefs tied around their heads the men wear caps and they have boots of felt or leather the shoes of many of the women are of straw and in place of stockings they have rags tied around their legs each man has a great bundle beside him or under his feet that is his baggage in the third class the most of the baggage is taken into the cars at some of the depots we see the people using their bundles as pillows sleeping on the stones while they wait for the train take a look at the station where our train is stopping it has a stone platform and the building is large and well kept that bell against the wall is for starting the train the station has an excellent restaurant the russians are fond of good living they are always eating and tea cake and fruit are brought to our window at every station the tea is served in glass tumblers with two or three lumps of sugar and a slice of lemon but without milk we try to drink it in the approved russian fashion we squeeze the lemon into the tea and then putting the hard sugar lump between our teeth slowly suck the tea through it it tastes good but we soon go back to our old way of drinking for the custom ruins the teeth and we notice that many russians on this account have teeth which are badly decayed the russians drink more tea perhaps than any other people and every family has its samovar filled with hot water the samovar is a brass urn with a pipe running through its center in which burning charcoal keeps the water hot so that by turning a spigot fresh tea can be made at any time of the day there are samovars at all the stations and the tea-peddlers behind them are long-haired long-bearded men with faces as rosy fat and jolly as that of old santa claus We are a long time crossing the steppes of southern Russia. We pass vast herds of cattle and horses watched by Russian cowboys, and see large flocks of sheep, some of which are tended by women and children. Now we go through a region of vineyards, and again through fields of Indian corn, barley, and rye. As we travel northward, the country grows better and the land more densely populated, until at last we reach the black earth zone. We are now in the granary of Russia. Which produces a large part of the food of the empire and which in good seasons grows so much wheat that it forms our chief competitor in the food markets of Europe chapter twenty two.